My mother decided to leave two of us on the government's doorstep. So at the age of seven, I was pretty much bouncing from boy's home to boy's home to boy's home. So you tell your wife, you knocked up that I'm going to San Francisco and <laughs> I've got a lot of money. I've got to figure things out. My business is not successful enough. I need to find myself. Exactly. Right. So she was obviously not really pleased with my decision making there. But in exchange, she was also buying me beer because he was the one that was the adult. Right. Whether it's every day or every week, that in itself, I believe, is what's really going to help drive you. It's going to remind you every day what you're working towards. One of the big tips that I have is time and time again, it's all about persistence, right? Persistence. I think persistence and patience. Patience in the fact that what's going to happen just might take a little bit longer than what you expected. But for me, that's probably one of the leading guiding forces behind me is just to stay the course no matter what. Hi, my name is Larry Talley, and I'm the founder and CEO of Everywhere. 45 years old, based out of Austin, Texas. And I founded a company based on where we are at this moment in time, using text message as a way to collect money faster for customers. Everywhere.com? Everywhere.com. Yes. Keep it easy. That's a great website. How much did that cost? You know, it actually cost $0, man, but it cost a lot of money and time afterwards. So it's one thing about getting a domain, but there's another thing about actually going out there and try to build a company. So I got lucky with the domain and grinding ever since. Okay. And just to make sure everyone knows, it's everywhere, W-A-R-E, because I did the other where by accident, right? as I was doing that. But yeah, so everywhere, W-A-R-E.com. Tell us a little bit more about your company and what you actually do. Yeah. So everywhere is a payments platform and we utilize your mobile number to help collect money fast for customers. So you think about traditionally accepting remote payments, you might have accepted a card over the phone and we replaced that because obviously cards being taken over the phone can create a high degree of risk or potential fraud. So everywhere is a platform that utilizes your mobile number where we shoot you a text message. And if you're already an existing customer, you can reply yes and the transaction goes through. If you're not, then you will click on a payment link, provision your credit card and off you go to making a payment just using your simple mobile number. And who's your actual customers for your business? So our customer throughout our business, you know, the name like everywhere else, I would probably have changed the name. You know, we have a wide degree of customers. So I chose to go horizontal. So from healthcare being a big market right now for us, we replace paper statements to automotive where we're actually collecting deposits through pay by tax and service and loan. In addition to that, we partnered up with a large number of nonprofits where we're using programs like text to give or text to donate to actually collect money through pay by tax. Well, can you give us a couple of examples of, I know you said you have some different types of clients there, but maybe a couple of examples might help everyone here. So in an example, it can be anything from like going to your doctor's office where typically they would collect a copay face-to-face. -face. Now they'll remind you of your appointment, fire off a text message and collect that copay prior to arriving at your doctor's office. And what's great about that is when 30 days go down the road and you know, trying to collect more money from you, typically they'll drop a statement in the mail. In this case, they'll actually just fire off another text message and you'll see the history on your phone. So you're more typical of making a payment or it's more convenient to making a payment this way as well. So that's just a, one of the great use cases. You know, dealerships have been really big for us, at least in the last year where you're seeing dealers actually collecting deposits remotely and cars right now are hard to come by. There's definitely, you know, high demand and a shortage out there. So you're finding that the person is potentially hundreds of miles away. And typically, again, they would have given a credit card over the phone. And now they can actually just do that all from your own device.
So how about the doctor's office? If I go to a doctor's office and they say, I owe $50 as copay before I go there, they send me a reminder because they're already sending the appointment reminders. I think everyone kind of gets that, especially the dentist appointment. People are annoying as shit. I get like 10 text messages reminding me. I'm like, okay, I know. But anyhow, <laughs> but let's say the doctor's office, they're saying, hey, I need a $50 copay before you come in. Do I just put in my credit card number or debit number and text back because I don't need an app or anything? Can you just maybe give me a little bit more detail on that? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's no app to download because who needs another app on the phone? I would call it like Appnasia. You know what I mean? So with everywhere, basically, if it's the first time that you're seeing this, then you'll get a secure payment link. Well, literally, it just takes you to the checkout where you've just put in your credit card number in, and then it's saved on file. So the second time around, you go to your doctor's office, you'll get a text message, and it would say, Austin, would you like to use the card you have on file? And then in 9366, you reply, yes, the transaction goes through. So this time, you didn't have to even click on a link. Okay. So it's just one time to set up and usually, I don't know, it sounds like maybe it takes 45, 60 seconds or something. And then if it's like one of those doctor's appointments or you're saying a car dealership deposit or something like that, I guess the reoccurring ones are probably the most useful if they're your clients, right? And everyone else, I just press okay or reply okay or something like that. And they automatically get the payment from there. That's it. You just reply yes. And the transaction goes through. So for remote payments, you know, obviously when credit cards get lost and stolen, it's really a pain in the butt to go out there Nobody wants to pick up the phone these days to hammer somebody over the phone, try to get an updated credit card. In this case, again, the system automatically fire out a text message. Sorry, your payment didn't go through Austin. For your convenience, you can click here to update it. So it's really, really helping speed up the amount of money that's being collected for these companies. Okay. So I could maybe like, if I want to support the truckers in Canada, if they wanted to send me a text <laughs> message, then that would be easier way than all the payment platforms that get shut down that they need help on, huh? Exactly. Right. So if you want to support them, then I think it'd be much easier for them to actually even set up a keyword, like donate to the truckers and they'd literally just text the word in donate or honk and the system will ask, probably be honk. honk. There you go. That's a better one. Honk. So that's a good keyword. Text in the word honk and the system will ask you how much would you like to donate to the truckers? You say 10 bucks. The system says, thank you. Well, I'd probably do 69. Okay. So I think it makes sense what your company does overall. Can you give us a scope of size, like your business and customers and whatnot? Yeah. So in a short amount of time, we're quickly gaining a tremendous amount of traction where we're soon this year, we'll be closing on 1 billion in volume. So a ton of volume now going through our platform, which is really excited. Last year around this time, we we're about half a billion. So it's just an acceleration going on right now where you're seeing this payment method now become widely adopted. And it's reason that's becoming widely adopted. It's just natural. It's natural to text. It's natural to be on our phone. 10 hours a day, some of us more, right? So it's just become this natural ability to collect money this way. And how many employees do you have? We're quickly growing. So right now um, we're at 48 employees and we have about 30 job openings. So if you're out there and you need a job, check us out at Everywhere and you know we're hiring. Let's see, if I go to everywhere.com, where do we, oh, careers? They just click on careers? That's it, click on careers. It looks like a lot of them are remote or Austin, Texas. That's kind of the two places. Yeah, you know, we now definitely obviously prefer to have you locally here in Austin. We have a great office in downtown. And uh, who doesn't want to be downtown Austin these days anyway? It's definitely one of the great things about living in Austin. But ultimately, you got to take them where you can, right? There's great employees everywhere, basically. So why not open it up for remote? Yeah, makes sense. And so are you from Austin, Texas? No, I'm actually from originally uh, Long Island, like New York. Found my way down to Texas after I sold my company in Florida. I was in Florida building another company that I had for about 14 years. 
And I sold that company and basically decided that it was time for a change. And Austin basically checked a lot of boxes. This was about three and a half years ago. So got here just in time before the, I guess the shit hit the fan, right? Well, yeah. Well, sounds good. Glad you, well, I guess you were in Florida before, so you're good too, versus, you know, all the lockdowns <laughs> and everything. But yeah, you picked a first and second best state, I guess, to be in during those times. Before we go ahead and rewind to how you got started with your other companies, I guess sometimes I save this for the end, but I'm trying to mix up the interviews a little bit. Like out of all everything you've done so far and being an entrepreneur, what do you think is like the most important thing you've learned? For one, basically how to develop, I'd probably say like calluses on your brain. And what I mean by that is, you know, everyone has an opinion, right? And you hear that all the time. People think, oh, that's too hard or why you choose that avenue, right? Why don't you just be like, for instance, vertical specific with everywhere or when it comes to raising money, obviously being in Florida is tough. It's a challenge. So you basically get a lot of companies there or investors there would tell you no. And as an entrepreneur and somebody that really believes in what you're doing, time and time again, it's all about persistence, right? Persistence. I think persistence and patience. Patience in the fact that it's going to happen just might take a little bit longer than what you expected. But for me, that's probably one of the leading guiding forces behind me. It's just to stay the course no matter what. We'll look forward to diving in. I'll keep bringing up those two keywords, the two Ps, because I 100% agree with you. I mean, that's whatever you end up doing. I mean, no matter what, I think every day I'm going to get so much more done than I do. Right. And then also the getting knocked down and keep going. You're like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I mean, most people give up, but you know, I think your persistence and patience, as you talked about here, I think we find in all of our stories. Absolutely. And again, especially when you have kids and a family, there's all the reasons, oh, you know, why I can't do this or, you know, why I, again, not going to go the distance or move my family or, you know, because it's difficult when you're changing schools and you got to uproot everyone. Even my wife, you know, she's from Florida. So she was like a Pisces. She's like, I got to be by water. And I'm like, Texas, we'll find water. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that's why I live on a lake now. <laughs> Understood. Well, I look forward to hearing about the moves and that because that's important too. We're here to learn about business as I say a lot, but then the personal stuff, like, can you convince your wife to move or, you know, especially if she's born and raised from there and dealing with family and balancing all that. So why don't we go ahead and rewind it to how you got started, if you don't mind, where do you think is a good point to start in your story? You know, we probably go even further back to even as a kid probably is a really good place to start because that definitely had a lot to do with where I am today, for sure. Okay. So yeah, you were in Long Island and then how old were you in your story? And let's go ahead and just start it off. Yeah. I had a tough life as a kid. So at the age of seven, I was pretty much left on the government's doorstep with my brother. So my brother and I, at that time, I thought of, at least I thought there was only seven of us, seven kids. So my mother decided to leave two of us on the government's doorstep. So at the age of seven, I was pretty much bouncing from boys' home to boys' home to boys' home. Not only didn't have any recognition of the schools or the number of schools that I was going through, because it was literally just so many. And then as a troubled kid, you know, a kid that basically didn't really know or even have a family, it was tough, you know what I mean? Because nobody really wants a seven-year-old, right? Especially with their brother. My brother was like six. So anywhere we go, there had to be two of us. And that was kind of hard to fit two brothers in a family especially at that age. It just felt like if you were two years old or something, you had a much better chance of finding a family. So in any case, it wasn't in the cards for us. So I ended up actually in upstate New York in Catskill. Probably uh, one of the better known places known for is from the home of Mike Tyson, right? So imagine that, you know, that's where Mike Tyson actually 
you know, had a similar past. He was in a boys' home up there, and I actually happened to go to the same boys' home to actually box. So as a young kid, I was learning how to box at a very young age, which was great because you can definitely relieve a lot of stress and tension becoming a boxer. But I knew that being a boxer was definitely not in my cards, especially because I wasn't really that good. <laughs> so I needed to find another path or a direction. So literally at the age of 14, I decided that I had enough and actually ran away and got my own place, own cabin in the woods. And I literally put myself through high school from 14 on to 18. And living in Catskill, New York, you're pretty much out in the middle of nowhere, right? So you really don't have too much opportunity other than the military, right? So the Navy basically for me was my ticket out of Catskill to see the world, find a career path, and ultimately to live my dream. So I graduated high school and again, put myself through high school. I graduated, which I was really proud of because, you know, obviously when you're putting yourself through high school, you know, you can definitely choose a different direction, whether it's taking a GED or dropping out. But I chose to actually finish and graduate and was really excited about joining the Navy. But again, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I basically knew that it was something around computers. I just felt like computers were things were headed. That's where I should be. This is the year 1995. Well, what's coming out in 1995? Well, Windows 95. So I felt like, man, if I can just know Windows 95, I would be that much ahead of everyone else. Because again, being something new and being commercialized and put in the marketplace, so I bought literally every single book I could read on Microsoft Office and Windows 95 and basically started teaching myself how to program, you know, and I started off just with SQL and Microsoft Access and trying to build these databases and tools and realized that I was really good at it. Like it just came natural in my brain. Like basically I just had this gift that I can just read these languages, understand them and produce awesome platforms. So the military, that was a great place because they were going through a transition. They were basically going off of these old green screen, black screen legacy platform. And they were looking to shift to a Windows 95 environment. So I was like perfect timing because, you know, again, I literally read all the books I could finally read and just became an expert. So one of my first stations was on an aircraft carrier. And I was definitely a great place as far as being stationed on a boat that really doesn't rock too much, right? You know what I mean? Like you're on a boat with 5,000 other individuals. It's a huge mash of basically city, which was pretty cool. So there I was basically, you know, being on a ship, being sent out to sea, you had really not a lot of things to do other than work, study, or work out when you're out to sea. So I, again, started really capitalizing on my strengths. In this case, it was uh, working out and programming and literally became like the most senior developer on that ship and was literally the guy that would produce the reports for the captain of the ship. I was the guy that would have like a top secret clearance at a young age. And you know, the captain, he didn't want to learn how to use a computer. That wasn't his strength. He just wanted things a certain way, which was like printed out on pieces of paper. So I was the computer expert in this case. It was awesome. I was getting access to all the secret information, knowing where the ship was headed and what things were going on even before the captain did. So it was a pretty awesome experience at a very young age. A lot of people start a business and they think they own their own brand, yet they don't. If you don't have a trademark, you could get sued for infringement. Imagine spending all that money on building someone else's brand, then getting sued by them for infringement. Trademark Factory is the only company in the entire world 
that has a true 100% money back guarantee and one flat fee that handles everything from start to finish with unlimited legal team hours. And as an entrepreneur, you have enough on your plate already. Growing and operating your business without having to add the complicated legal process of getting a registered trademark. So Trademark Factory makes it easy for you by taking that off your plate and doing the hard work for you. Their flat fee covers everything from start to finish with a flat fee, unlimited legal team hours, and backed by their money back guarantee. Let them do the legal work so you can focus your attention where it's needed most, your business. They'll get the job done or your money back. And all you have to do is wait for your trademark certificate in the mail. That's it. So to request a free consultation call with one of Trademark Factory's strategic advisors, use the following link, tmf.rocks forward slash millionaire. That's tmf.rocks forward slash millionaire. By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you could invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it only takes a few minutes to create your own account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Visit itrust.capital forward slash ESI and start investing today. That's itrust.capital forward slash ESI. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. I Trust Capital Incorporated does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. Before we kind of move on to the Navy and everything you're able to do there, first off, thank you for your service. And then can we expand a little bit more about you putting yourself through high school and living in a cabin where you by yourself or with the family? No, I was really by myself. So at that time, I was split up from my brother. My brother was going on to become a boxer. So my brother actually, he went with a family. So he was fortunate enough to get a family. And myself, I decided to just take off, just pretty much become a runaway. And at the age of 14, decided that, hey, man, I'm better off just taking care of myself, which I did. I mean, I had like two jobs. I was making money. I bought a car. You know, I didn't have a license. And I was literally just trying to put my life together at a very young age. But I was also super fortunate because it was happening. It was all very positive. Even when I needed to have a parent or something that like, happened at school that required my dad, I would pay this guy like 20 bucks, basically beer money to act as my father. You know what I mean? To basically come to school, like deal with any like parent issues that required your parent to come in. So yeah, definitely. Very appreciative still where I came from, because I think that kind of helped me deal with a lot of problems later on in life, like of knowing what hard really is. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, I was going to ask, I thought the high school that you'd go to would like basically require you to have a parent, but that's how you're able to get around it. You're saying just pay one of your coworkers to come in and act as your guardian or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't even a coworker. This was like literally a homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally a homeless dude. Yeah. <laughs> was he your roommate? 
No, 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 no. He wishes he's my roommate. <laughs> yeah. He wishes he had a place. No, nah, he was literally a homeless guy in Catskill that, you know, was pretty well known because he would hang out on Main Street. Again, I would like give him cigarettes and buy him beer. I mean, I'm buying him beer, but in exchange, he was also buying me beer because he was the one that was the adult, right? So we just became friends and he was able to help me and I was able to help him. This guy never wanted to work and just wanted to ask for things in life. And I just wanted somebody that basically show up and act as my legal guardian. <laughs> so it was a good trade. Yeah. And how about the cabin that you're talking about? Was it just a random one you found or did you actually buy it? No, and it wasn't a nice cabin. So I don't want to give you the impression that this was. Oh, I don't have an impression <laughs> of a nice one, but I still feel like just, you can't just go on a random person's property and just stay on their cabin. But maybe you did. In my head, I've trust me, I don't have anything pictured nice or I don't think anyone really does. Yeah. So when you're in Catskill, New York, it's super remote. I mean, this is kind of like where Woodstock is. And so again, just a lot of woods. And there was basically a piece of property there that had, it was like an old inn. I think of an inn from like, I don't know, it must've been there since the late 1800s, 1900s. So not nice at all, but it was owned by a gentleman that was probably like 75 years old. And he had probably about 10 cabins in the woods. And the 10 cabins themselves, again, they were kind of run down. They're just open. So there's like no real bedrooms. You know what I mean? It's literally just one room. So like one bedroom, but nothing in there. Yeah. Mine didn't even have a kitchen. You know what I mean? Had a hot burner and a microwave. That's what I was exactly what I was picturing. Before you keep going, because maybe I'm just a dumbass and hopefully I'm not. Maybe everyone else can figure out. I cannot figure out how to spell Catsco. I've tried so many different ways and I cannot. How do you spell Catsco? All right. So Catskill is like cat, C-A-T. Yeah. And then S-K-I-L-L. Okay. Cat skill. Cat skill. Yep. Okay. It's known for like the Catskill Mountains. But yeah, so that's where I graduated high school from a Catskill High School. Okay. Just in between, look like Albany, New York, just south of Albany, New York. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably maybe like an hour and 40 from the city. Yeah. Because I always like, I mean, even it depends what everyone's doing, whether they're listening to a podcast, but. If you just Google the place and then sometimes I'll just go to Google images, it helps me so much more understand where you were. And the very first thing is just all these mountains and mist and woods. So I get a better feeling of how you're able to persevere. Yeah, you can hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you already persevered more by the time you were like 14 than I have my whole life already, you know? So, yeah. Again, I guess that's what you're talking about, patience and persistence. Yeah, you're able to get through that. Perseverance is the third one, I guess, as the peep. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I was imagining it wasn't anything nice. It's kind of one bedroom. The bedroom is the actual room. And then you're just saying you had a grill or something like that. And that's it. Yeah, it was like a hot burner, you know, one of those hot plates, basically. And a microwave. And, you know, we didn't have DoorDash, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So how much did that cost you? Living there, probably about 300 bucks a month at the time. So it wasn't anything crazy as far as like the cost of living. And that 300 included everything, you know what I mean? As far as like water and electric. And again, for just pretty much a bedroom, because that's the size of the cabin. So very small. It was perfect. It was secluded. Nobody kind of knew who, where I was. Maybe very difficult. In fact, there was nobody really looking for me anyway. So when you're part of the government, especially out of New York, there were so many kids in similar situations. So they just never bothered to even try to look for me, I don't think. Okay. Did you have friends in high school that would want to come over and hang out and stuff too? Like, would they know your situation or were you just kind of a loneser? No, no. All my friends knew my situation and I was super popular in school, probably because I could pretty much do whatever I want. 
and everyone kind of knew that like on the property that I was staying at, it was like hundred acres of woods. So I was definitely had giant burn pit and we would just always throw parties there. So I was probably one of the coolest kids at Catskill at that time, just for the fact that I was just so free to do whatever I want. And the fact that I was still showing up, going to class, I think it really helped others around me like, oh, dude, you should like just, you know, drop out and just explore the world. You know what I mean? And I just chose to see it through. Well, how about the friends that would come over? Would the parents ever ask like, hey, I'm going to Larry's cabin in the woods or how are you able to push that off? <laughs> yeah, you know, I really didn't come across that too much other than the fact that when things kind of got a little bit hectic, whether it was like fights breaking out or something like that, definitely the property started getting a name for itself. But for the most part, you know, even for the parents that knew my situation, I had just two jobs. I had a car. I had my act together. Pretty much for them, for the parents, more of like somebody that their kids should look up to, if anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the one main thing they say about kids. It's like, I mean, I never thought about this. Like I always played sports and stuff after school and all this stuff. But kids really only get in super trouble is when they don't have anything to do and they're bored. If you have like two jobs and you've got all that going on and you're going to school, you've got enough to keep you busy versus like you could have been a guy who dropped out and just smoked weed in the cabins all the time or whatever, you know, but keeping yourself busy obviously helps. And maybe that's, again, those parents could look up to you and if they knew your situation. But yeah, I mean, I think that's just amazing right there between your 14 and 18 year old time before you even went to the Navy. Yeah. And I wouldn't change it. You know what I mean? Part of me was like, oh yeah, it'd have been great to have like Christmas holidays with your family. You know, that part of it, because that part of it, I think probably was the roughest. But other than that, I think it really helped create who I am today. It helped me basically deal with a lot of issues I feel like later on in life where others would have struggled with. So for one, I've been with the same girl since high school. I'm married, been with the same girl for 27 years. So what's her name? Kathleen. What is she? Yeah. So Kat and I, you know, she's with me since high school. We met the last year. So she's been with me through a lot of this. Then you go to the Navy. Well, that's important too. So I guess you were with her while you went to the Navy too, after you turned 18? Yes. When I joined the Navy, they told me that you're going to go to a boot camp in Orlando, Florida. Man, I was excited about that. Orlando, Florida, right? Were you really or were you not? Yeah, no, I kind of was because I'm in Catskill, New York in the middle of the woods. Now I'm going to Florida to go to boot camp. I mean, what's more excited than that? You know what I mean? So long story short, I go down to Florida. I figured, you know, I got a couple months to kill after graduating. So I you know this is like graduating in June, go down to Florida, hang out there, and then class up for boot camp in October. So while down in Florida, I meet Kathleen. So she's in high school and I'm just now graduated. And I meet her down in uh, South Florida. And her and I hooked up and basically told her my situation about boot camp. And then we start dating. I believe it was probably around August timeframe where I get a call from the Navy basically telling me that they're shutting down boot camp in Orlando and you're now going to Great Lakes. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Great Lakes. Yeah. You can say what the fuck. <laughs> right. Like I'm going to the Great Lakes in October. Oh, and that's in Michigan, right? Yeah. Like Chicago. Okay. And I'm like, this is totally the opposite. Like, I cannot go in the Navy with this shit. Going to the cold and yeah, this does not sound good. I was all in on Florida. But I sucked it up and I actually ended up going to boot camp in the Great Lakes in the winter. Where So it's like 10 feet of snow. It's probably one of the coldest winters, of course, that they had on record. And 
for the amount of snow. And it was just really nasty environment. You know what I mean? Totally opposite of what I expected from Orlando, Florida. And so you stayed with Kathleen, even though you're going to boot camp up there? Yeah. Cause you know, her and I basically, she's like the last girlfriend. In other words, before I take off and now I'm like gone for about five years. She's the last one that I meet that I fall in love with. So I'm like, man, I really like this girl. It's kind of easier, I guess, to stay together with someone when your guys are pretty much distant, right? So if I'm in boot camp and she's in Florida, well, there's no real reason to break up. So yeah, that's kind of how her and I started off our relationship. From there, it's uh, led to three boys. <laughs> so where did you get stationed after you got done with boot camp? I know you told us you were on the aircraft carrier, but where did it go out of? After graduating from boot camp, I was sent to Norfolk, Virginia, or No Fuck, Virginia. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Yeah. So no fuck Virginia, which is also an awful place. I mean, pretty much anyone that lives there, either in the military or you work for the military or your family's in the military. That's really the only reason that you want to be in Norfolk. It's the largest military base there is. I didn't know people thought of it that much like that, but I guess they do. There are certain cities I think everyone knows that are military bases or especially for the Navy. So you go there, you're there for four years, but you're basically at sea a lot. And then does Kathleen come up and visit you or you go back down to Florida as you keep your relationship going? Yeah. You know, immediately when I get there on an aircraft carrier, I was there like not even two weeks and then they're like, oh, you're getting deployed for eight months. <laughs> so it was like, damn, this is fast. So literally two weeks later, we're off to sea. But I really can't say it was a bad time because, man, I went to probably about 30 different countries. So this is right after the Gulf War. A lot of things are happening right now in 95. It's kind of where shit's calming down. And it's like now becoming more or less going into the summertime. So I was like, you know, in Rhodes, Greece and Palma, Spain and all these cool places in the summertime. And you're with a group of guys. So you're like with your best friends and you're seeing the world together for the very first time. It was super excited. It was a great experience. Yeah, it makes sense. And so you do that for four years. You say you're really handy with computers while you're doing all that. And are you just in the military four years and then you get out? So yeah, so I wound up doing about five years in the military. And then I actually wind up getting out and then went to work for an eyewear company. This is kind of a cool story. So while I was in, my mother-in-law was helping me find a job. So my mother-in-law found me a job working at the company that she was working for as really just a junior programmer. So as a junior programmer, I get brought onto this company right out of the military. And about three weeks into this job, they're telling me that the company is going bankrupt and that they have to let like 300 employees go. Well, what company was it? They're still around today. They want to come back, but it's a company called uh, Knee Optics. Their website's optics2020, it's optx2020.com. And it's actually, believe it or not, that website is, man, it must be over 20 years old, that website. And it's one of the first websites that I built that's still up. Like they still use it. So that's amazing. Yeah. It hasn't changed. Well, I'm looking at it too. It's funny because you were saying when you're in the military five years, I'm doing the math. This was right around 99, 2000 when you got this job and you're saying they have to lay everybody off. Yeah. So they have to lay like literally 300 people off. And the reason being is that this company right here, OPTX2020, their number one customer was Rite Aid drugstores. Well, Rite Aid files bankruptcy. So they're like, you know, Rite Aid has like 3000 stores and they've created a lot of companies. So when they can't afford to make a payment or pay their bills, and you're talking, they were shipping like a few hundred thousand pairs of reading glasses every single week for Rite Aid. So Rite Aid's like, oh no, we can't pay you anymore. So this company really had all its eggs in one basket. 
the president of the company comes to me and he's like telling me that we're going to have to let pretty much everyone in IT go. But I heard that you are a little bit different than the other programmers. In the three weeks that you've been here, the CIO, this guy named Larry Brister, spoke really highly of you. So what I'm going to do is trust that he's right with his instincts, keep you on, even though you've only been here three weeks. And then the other guys that have been in the company like three years and another guy like eight years, we're letting those guys go and we're going to keep you. And I just thought maybe I was because I was like the lowest paid guy. Right. Right. That was like, man. He's trying to make you feel special. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. you're the cheapest. I'm like, you're the cheapest. But in any case, long story short, he's like, well, we can't afford to pay our ERP company for all our ordering system. It's like this giant Oracle database and Oracle platform. And I don't know what to do because I have to still basically ship, pack, and get orders out the door for another set of clients, nowhere near their size of Rite Aid but it would be enough to stay afloat. So if I could help out and basically automate these processes so they can literally fire all these people in the warehouse and make things much more efficient, they could actually downsize. Over a course of about two months, I wrote a program that basically took the orders in from like an API call and automated all the way down to pick, packing and ship. Totally automated. And actually it's still in existence today. They enabled them to lay off all these people, and now their system was automated. So this guy, president of that company, his name is Scott Orlinsky, and believe it or not, Scott Orlinsky is the co-founder now at Everywhere. So when I started Everywhere, Scott is still with me today from the very first job, from that experience that I had with him way back when I automated his company. They went on to actually sell into Walmart. So if you ever walk into a Walmart, You'll see all these reading glasses from Optics 2020 on the rack in all the Walmart stores. Went on to become very successful. But it was great because Scott literally was the president of this company. And about, I would say, four years ago, when I, after I already started everywhere, he loved what I was doing and just quit his job and joined me. So it's great to have somebody like that. And then Larry Brister, who was my CIO at Optics 2020, still works for me today, but as one of my senior programmers. At everywhere? At everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I brought both those guys and they're still with me today working for me, which is pretty cool. Well, we turned the cards now before I used to work for them. With spring in the air, it's a time of renewal and growth, personally and professionally. As your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. I bet you know what I love about LinkedIn Jobs, and that's just how quickly you can make that next virtual hire. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond. The world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free 
at linkedin.com slash millionaire. That's linkedin.com slash millionaire to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Energetic Austin here. And if you're a product manager, innovator, or a startup business person like me, you know how hard it is to be sure your next big idea will be a hit. In fact, 85% of new products fail. And a huge reason for all that failure is that it's just too hard to validate product market fit with consumers. Old style market research is too slow, too complicated, and too expensive for fast moving teams trying to build something great. But what if you could test out your product ideas with target consumers whenever you want, before you put all the time and money into development? That's what startups and Fortune 500 companies do with Feedback Loop. Get quality feedback from their target customers early and often. Feedback Loop is the test before you invent product research platform. It's got expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap, and a lot more. You can create your own test in minutes and get back quality insights from your target consumers in hours. And if you go to go.feedbackloop.com forward slash millionaire, you'll get three full tests for free. So if you want your next product or feature to be a hit, test before you invest. Build based on data, not opinion, and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. Well, full circle. I mean, it's amazing. Just uh, again, we're only at, at you being 24, 25 years old at this time. Now we're seeing like, you know, into the future of what, 20 years down the line, basically that they're working for you. But I had a quick question when you were doing the database or whatever to automate everything, what system were you using or what were you writing your code on? It was an Oracle-based system. So everything that I was doing was in SQL Plus behind the scenes. And what I had to do is literally hack into a system and really just rewire their APIs to make things much more efficient. So in other words, along the way, they would have a lot of checks and balances where they would allow humans to kind of come in to move the process along. So that would be always an eye on something. Whereas when an order came in, it bypassed everything. I mean, it checked all the boxes to make sure that accounting and inventory was properly being handled the right way, but literally went right out to the warehouse where they were able to have cheap labor, basically just put glasses in boxes and pick, pack and ship. And so it was much more efficient. And it's still the same process. This company ships over a half a million reading glasses a week to all Walmart stores today. And it's the same API process. And there's really no IT department. So it still runs this company even to this day, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can kind of futuristically again see with everywhere today how you could kind of use these. But even if it's a different type of coding or whatever in the past, I think the process or the thought process that you have to use to automate works forever, right? So I think anyone thinking, I was just asking because I was curious because I know things change over time, but figuring out those efficiencies. And then at that age, when you're that young, you're like, okay, no matter what company I go to or what company I start, I need to understand this process versus like, you know, I was able to save this company by doing something like that. Yeah. You know, and back then it was EDIs, right? And EDI is a very old legacy way of moving data around where today, like obviously with REST APIs, it's much more scalable and super efficient to plug in like a REST API, but working with EDI files, man, that's rough. So that's what I was dealing with. And I Absolutely, Blow. I know exactly everything you're talking. Now I have no clue what you're talking. <laughs> I'm just going to keep nodding my head like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some that don't know. So what does EDI stand for? Good question. I even forgot what it stands for. It's so old, man. I haven't dealt with it in such a long time. But obviously, it probably means something along the lines of electronic data interface or something like that. Yeah, electronic data interchange. Interchange. There you go. And 
it's still the process. So if you like do business with these large retailers like Walmart, they just can't afford sometimes to upgrade their platform. You know what I mean? They're not as nimble. So EDI is- Yeah, it probably cost them like a billion dollars, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. Yeah, if you're going to do all that, because to upgrade to versus just keep fixing whatever's, I guess, the older one or whatever. Yeah, they've created a lot of EDI companies, I can tell you that. <laughs> all right. And so you do this, for, you come in, you save the company, and are you there for several years? Or let's walk down the timeline a little bit more. So basically, it was really good because I give them a nice high five and tell them like, hey, I will still support your company but I'm on a path to something bigger. Still for many years, even to this day, support Optics 2020, that company. Like I still like their IT guy, even to this day, I still have to deal with them. But in any case, I basically wanted to go corporate. So I joined it at this time, it's a public company. It's Blue Green Corporation. They're a resort developer and they're in Boca Raton, Florida. And this company right here was pretty hot in the sense that it's for building non-branded resorts. So they would build resort properties. They wouldn't call them blue green. They would call them the fountains. So they were very well known, a few hundred properties and all the cool places like Myrtle Beach or Gatlinburg, Tennessee, or places in Florida. So there in a short amount of time, I basically get hired by the chief marketing officer, Joe Rusinello. So Joe Rusinello was the head of marketing and he basically hired me to help build out bluegreen.com so bluegreen.com would be like their corporate website that would allow all their vacationers and being a public company also support investors and what have you. But in a short amount of time, showed my value and said, you know, what does it look like if we could, in this case, they own a big part of vacation ownership or timeshares. What if we automate it and collect all this money online versus through paper? Just made a lot of sense back then. Like, let's get away from this paper. It'll generate more cash flow. So long story short, built out an entire payments platform for them where they can collect all their money online and drive their customers to make payments this way versus through traditionally call centers, just huge call centers and, and rely on paper. So basically it really helped build that company up and that company in itself helped me basically figure out, man, like I'm on to something here. Great at building these solutions, in this case, like sales and marketing systems and what have you. So Joe Rusinello, who was the CMO, right? And this company, you know, employs a few thousand people, him and I, and the vice president of creative services, this guy named James Klutz, decide that we're going to quit our jobs and start Brantango. Brantango was born and Brantango, which is, you see online, still up, it was acquired and you see those guys there. Brantango would basically build out these types of solutions for all the big brands in the hotel and hospitality industry. Nice. What's the name? Why brand Tango? Yeah, like brand, like B as in boy. Right. I guess, it, you know, making a brand, but what's Tango stand for? Tango was like the dance, a very sexy, seductive dance that requires both people to be in sync. And obviously when it's done right, it's beautiful. When it's done wrong, it looks like shit. So <laughs> hence the name brand Tango. It was really just the combination of bringing great partners together. Yeah. So we had an amazing run for over a decade together. Okay. So you're 29 when you start this, you're saying 2005, this is starting your first company versus for, I guess, obviously you're an employee and I mean, you're kind of entrepreneur yourself because you're in there fixing stuff. You're not just in there doing data input or something like that at these other companies. So you've already got the mindset of how to think, make things more efficient. Cause I think that's what entrepreneurs are trying to do at the end of the day, make things more efficient or better. And that's why you end up doing it. So starting your first company, were you scared at all? Or I guess to me, if I'm in your shoes, it's like, 
I think I've already saved companies and I know companies need this. So maybe you aren't scared, but it definitely is a little bit different mindset. No, absolutely. The good thing I had going for me though, while I was at Blue Green, I was also moonlighting. Like I was making still a nice check from Opix 2020, who basically had me on retainer. So they're paying me like eight grand a month just for me never to go anywhere. <laughs> just, you know, even like I left the company, you know what I mean? I was getting this check every month in the mail from them. And that enabled me to go out and find other types of companies that can use my talent. And by the time I was five years at Blue Green, I was now the vice president of application development. So I worked my way up very quickly to right underneath the CIO as a second in command. And basically, you know, had over a hundred people underneath me. And I'm like, man, this is a company. I'm running a company right now at a young age. So, you know, I can do this for myself and I have my side business going on. So I was able to basically really hit the ground running at Brand Tango right out of the gate. You know what I mean? And then having Joe Russinello, who was an amazing marketing guy and James being an amazing creative guy and me being the software guy. It was a great match. Like we all had value to contribute. We all had our strengths and we all relied on one another in those times. So getting started off even like the first year and stuff, was it just word of mouth that is it three of y'all building out different systems for these other companies? And was it easy to find clients and generate business? Yeah, we were really fortunate because while at Blue Green, Blue Green was just dominating the resort space at the time. Like we were winning all the hospitality and resort awards both from the systems that we were putting in place to the creative that was coming out to our marketing. We were on fire where all the other resort developers, like from Hilton to the Marriott's of the world, were like, who are these guys? And like, we were being told, like, you guys are amazing. You guys should be on your own. So us three kind of came together and we literally left our job so we could go after all of Blue Green's competitors, basically, and offer them those same solutions that was making Blue Green really great at the time. Okay. Yeah, real quick. I think that definitely helps because you're about to say, so what were you doing special at Blue Green? You're just doing online payments for hotels and luxury places versus like Marriott and Hilton at the time. Because again, it's kind of hard for me to imagine like you can't do everything online. Obviously, like today you can, you know, but back then just tell us what Blue Green was doing and what the other companies weren't. Yeah. So for the one thing back then, it was one thing about building out website that basically not only accepts payments, but also is like your sales and marketing. That's like your window into your resort properties. So from the site itself being cutting edge at the time to developing mobile app solutions that are going to run on devices. So that became a big part of us is developing these digital applications that basically would be like your remote control to these high-end resorts. And so we were known for developing these interactive platforms a lot of which are probably still on the Brand Tango website, whether it was like creating these experiences from sales centers with digital touchscreens everywhere. We were very much forward thinking at the time. Today, like you said, it's almost like complacency, like it's everywhere, you know, but back then developing an app, you know, that was new. That's when apps were becoming cool. So we were right there in the right place at the right time, developing these types of really sales and marketing solutions, because that's kind of where's our bread and butter. And then again, you start Brand Tango with your buddies and you end up doing that for 10 years? Yeah, it was probably like close to, I know I'm there on LinkedIn, it has like 11, but it was actually like about 14 years because within Brand Tango, everywhere was being born because I was approaching this age. I was coming upon 38 years old now and I had a great life. You know, I was making over a million bucks a year. I was very, very fortunate 
had everything going for us, lived in South Florida. But again, though, I was basically still not done yet. I'm like, man, I'm reading about all these young billionaires coming out of San Francisco. And here I am in South Florida. Yeah, it's more becoming a lifestyle business. And I just didn't want a lifestyle business. I wanted something more, something like really going to make an impact. So that's where I started dreaming up of what it would like to be everywhere, like develop a platform that just works everywhere. You were just working in hospitality, basically. And this is your mindset. You're saying when you're reading about people in San Francisco and you want to up your game and go to another level, the stuff you've worked on before were just systems for certain businesses individually versus like something that could work on all of them. Is that the idea of like your thought process? Exactly. Well, it was one in particular that really started for me really changing the way you know to think, which was watching what Stripe was doing and watching what Twilio was doing. And in my mind, I was like, man, what if these two companies have a baby? What would that look like? You know, <laughs> what are these two companies, two great companies that are really coming onto the game now, both becoming very much quickly gaining traction, becoming billion dollar companies. What does it look like when these two companies come together? So I started programming. I actually told my wife as I was looking to like get out from underneath Brand Tango, I told her that I got to go to San Francisco and kind of just figure things out. And I'm going to go there for like three months. And just really stay there till I figure it out. So I went out there. What the fuck did she say? <laughs> oh, she was not really happy at all because she was pregnant with our son at the time. Okay, I was making sure it was your son too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still my son. So you tell your wife you knocked up that I'm going to San Francisco and <laughs> I've got a lot of money. I've got to figure things out. My business is not successful enough. I need to find myself. Exactly. Right. So she was obviously not really pleased with my decision-making there. But in any case, she supported me. Like She's a good trooper. So I actually went out there, and I would literally go out there, and I would go out there and just not stay for the entire three months. Like I got a basement apartment, and I would commute. I would go back to Florida every two weeks and stay a few days and go back to San Francisco again. So being out in San Francisco, I was able to really just focus in on, okay, meeting the right people discussing like what's coming down the pipe and what's next. And then ultimately just, again, in my mind, I was like, man, truly on stripe, having a baby. What does that look like? You know, in the future, everyone's going to be texting. So I was fortunate though enough that basically I was programming in a coffee shop in San Francisco. I was pretty much my office. And it's one of those cocktails and coffee shops. So you can have like five o'clock. Now they're serving cocktails, not coffee. Yeah, but you're ordering the cocktails at noon. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there just happened to be this gentleman, I'm going to keep it honest right now, that was next to me. And he was like, dude, put down your computer, man. It's five o'clock. Have a drink. So I wound up having a drink and kind of telling him what I was working on. And he was like, oh, man, you know, it sounds really, really exciting what you're building here. What is the name? And I'm like, well, the name really is everywhere, but I don't have everywhere. So I'm be everywhere. So we go on and basically have our continuous conversation and we exchange information. He seems really excited about what I was building, but now it's like literally time for me to go back to Florida, pack all my shit, go back to Florida. And literally I'm home in Florida now. And I figure like I've got it. Like I got this formula that seems to be working really well that I'm going to continue to build out now back in Florida. Well, about four weeks go by and literally my wife and I are in bed. It's like 11 o'clock at night. But on the West Coast, and obviously it's much earlier, and I get a call and he's like, you met me in the coffee shop. I was so impressed what you were building. By the way, I am the owner of everywhere.com. This is how I got the name. 
I met the individual that owned it. And he goes on to tell me about the history. And it's pretty cool if you actually Google the history exactly the way I spell it. It's actually in the dictionary. So it's actually a word now in the dictionary, exactly how it's spelled. You can Google that too. But it was pretty neat. So he basically tells me the history of how he fought off like Michael Dell and like in the 90s and Bill Gates and everyone wanted this name everywhere for the meaning of, you Google it, for it talks about where we are really at this moment in time with now, like everything becoming ubiquitous, like the connection of everything. Now everything can talk to one another, like from devices, everything is now connected with AI. And so it's a really cool story of the name itself. So he wound up giving me all rights and everything to the name. And this guy is he's already a multi-billionaire and he's up there in his age, he's over in his 60s. But yeah, so he was so impressed in what we were doing. And that's how I got the name, just everywhere.com and all the trademarks and rights to it. He just basically gave it to you. He didn't want any equity or anything like that. Just gave it over for basically whatever the hosting was. Yep. Everything. So he's still an important piece of this puzzle because I still have to fulfill my obligation to the name. So it's definitely a much bigger path and vision I have for the name itself, you know, into the future. But I felt like, man, payments and communication. Those two things together can really connect you to everything that everyone does in their life. Those two things together. If you're texting or you're paying. Yeah. Well, I think everyone wants to know, what coffee shop did you go to in San Francisco? <laughs> That's a good uh, one. It's right. I actually remember the name of it, man. It's right across actually from Twilio. So it's on the same road, maybe like four stores over across the street. Because literally, I planted myself across from Twilio's offices. For one is because I wanted to meet everyone from Twilio. So I wanted to be at the right place and strike up conversations. And it helped. I was able to meet a lot of people from Twilio just by being right across the street from them in that coffee shop. <laughs> well, by the way, now it's, they upped their game now because now you can smoke cannabis in there too. <laughs> nice. It was on Beale Street, or at least it is now. Is, does that sound right? Yeah, it's like on that main drag. Man, I have to pull up on the map. Well, I'm just saying, if anyone's in San Francisco, or if I go to San Francisco, I'm going into this coffee shop. Oh, yeah. No, you have to. But like I said, now that it's like cannabis too, so. All right, guys. Larry and I spent several minutes to make sure we found out where he exactly he went, this coffee place. So if you're there, hopefully you can meet a billionaire and get a domain name as cool as his. So what was the name? Barbary Coast. So Barbary Coast Cannabis Dispensary. You know, being in that environment where other people are who are smart and trying to just run into them while your wife's at home taking care of the babies, this is kind of the place you would want to go, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because again, like you said, you want to meet like-minded people. And it's like, for me, it's like, I got to plant myself in the right place, the right opportunity, and it's just going to walk through the door. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? The right person at the right time walked through the door and not even like disclosing his information to me. I think that was kind of impressive. And me not even knowing and then waiting like four weeks later to find out, which was pretty cool. And so you go back home, you decide you're going to do this. And then I guess you have your co-founders and basically start it up. So at the time, I really just started off by myself. So this time around, you know, I loved my partners at Brand Tango, but they weren't as risky as I was. Again, this company, Brand Tango, is very, very successful, making really good money. We're all like young millionaires at the time. Those guys, they have a beautiful house in Intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale. They're living it up. And for me, they were like, man, dude, we support you. You know, we want you to be successful, but we're older. They're probably about 10 years older than me. So they're like, no, nah, this is it for us. Like, we're retiring after this. And for myself, I was looking to find something bigger and better. And yeah, so I started this journey solo. 
And I literally just started building up the platform and the system at a Boca Raton, Florida. And I actually met a nice person that walked in my life was Dan Kane from Modernizing Medicine. So if you look up Dan Kane, it's a guy who became a young billionaire by selling was it Blackboard and then went on to start Modernizing Medicine. He was like, you got to move to open up an office at FAU, like the university right next to me. I was like, absolutely, man. Modernizing Medicine, this company's on its way to becoming a multi-billion dollar company. So that's what I did. I literally set up an office right at the university there in Boca Raton. And then I quickly learned that I'm going to have to raise money because I am going to be burning myself dry, <laughs> you know, with my savings, which I did. Like I totally, like my wife, you're like using up everything, cashed in your 401, you know, everything. Jeez. I mean, it takes a lot of balls to do that. I agree with the other guys. I think most people, I don't know. I feel like 95% of people would have stopped at after you're doing your other company, right? But then if you have to start using your own company, this is where you're like, okay, I, I can't risk all my family money from building up Brand Tango into this new company. So you went to raise capital? Yeah, I went to raise capital. And I was like, all right, I'll go back to San Francisco and try to raise money. And quickly learned when I mentioned Boca Raton, Florida, perception-wise, they would think Boca del Vista, Seinfeld, like travelers, like old people. And I couldn't even open my mouth. And the minute I said Boca, Immediately, that's what sprung in somebody's head, like that perception of there's nothing good coming out of Boca Raton. So I was pounding the pavement literally for about a year and a half as I'm building up the platform. And I'm literally programming this thing myself. So it wasn't like I had a team of developers on it. It was like me. Long story short, I said, man, it was on my birthday, August 7th. And this is the year 2017. And I'm like, man, I got to figure out if San Francisco is too far to move my family, where can I move my family and be in the hottest, cool tech environments there is right now? And didn't want to be in the cold. So like New York and Boston were kind of out of my question. San Francisco being too far. I was like, Austin, Texas, it's hail bales, it's flat. I know I've never been there. So just thinking Texas, it's just flat, but it's in a good central location. And I hear it's hot for tech and Dell's there. So long story short, I basically start traveling now, this time to Austin, Texas, not to Florida. I mean, not to California. And I basically meet Josh, the founder of Capital Factory in downtown. And the Capital Factory, it's known for being the center of the universe kind of deal. That's his mindset. And I'm like, man, I want to be in the center of the universe. And if Austin's it, I want to be at this building, like in this office. And fast forward, where we are today, everywhere is still in that office space. We've just taken up pretty much almost half the floor, but we're actually located in Capital Factory and Capital Factory being one of the first investors in our fund. And then we went on to bring in about six other venture capitalists in our fund, but it all happened within three months of going to Texas. Like it just happened so fast because now it wasn't like, oh, you're from Boca Raton, Florida. It was like, no, you're a Texas, you're Austin. Oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? So it was much easier now to raise money. Yeah, it's amazing that even like you're trying to raise money and you're doing stuff that's digital, right? So it really shouldn't matter, but it still has that connotation that you felt like you had to move. And maybe it was fun to do a, a life change too, but just funny how that works. It's like how you had to run into someone in San Francisco. At least the same thing was happening in Austin, Texas. But it is kind of ironic that you feel like you can be everywhere to do this digital stuff. But really, until you moved to Austin, Texas, no one really took you seriously. Exactly, right? Because in Florida, I was like raising a little bit of money which was great. I mean, I was fortunate to have my uncle Bill who came through with a couple hundred thousand and some friends and family, but I needed serious money. So I was like, all right, I'm going to Austin. And then literally 
it was just a land of opportunity. Like people here want to help you. Even if they, they don't even get anything out of it, like they just feel like they just want to help. Hence the name of being one of the friendliest cities, in which they did. At Capital Factory, I did a pitch, like on pitch day, where I pitched everywhere in front of a group of investors. And there was one particular investor in the room, a small company called Vista Equity. You know, Vista obviously is a huge multi-billion dollar fund. But the woman there, she basically comes to me afterwards and says, you know, I'm so impressed with what you're building. I love what you're doing. I'm like, great. So you're going to invest? She's like, nah, like you're way too small for us. <laughs> so I'm like, what are you telling me? But she's like, no, but I know someone, an entrepreneur here in Austin, Texas, who you have to meet. Like you have to meet this guy. And this guy was the founder of Hot Schedules. You know, Hot Schedules is a cool platform that help and organize when employees want to time off at restaurants. You know, they can just kind of throw their name in a hat and somebody would pick up their shift. But in any case, I meet Ray from Hot Schedules. And not only did Ray live only a mile and a half down from my street, that's how close we were in proximity. Who, oh, by the way, I'm going to see Ray tomorrow. And today I'm going to see Ray today in Jackson Hole because that's where he lives now. But in any case, he opens me up to all of his investors. I mean, so here is it. I do a pitch to Vista Equity. Vista Equity just says, I'm going to make an intro to you, to this gentleman that I think that you were really going to like. Just I think you guys are hit it off. And we do hit it off. We become like best friends. And then he brings in his whole investment team, which was awesome. But yeah, just, you know, you had to take action. So yeah, it was pretty exciting to have Ray still with me today. Well, looking back at your story, because again, we talked about persistence to start. Where were you most persistent? I was probably most persistent, not ever worrying about running out of cash. You know, in other words, I always felt like no matter what, I'm not going to run out of cash. That's why I used up every dollar I had. I left nothing on the table. Like I knew like something would come along. The reality is it always did. Like when I needed the money at the right time, it came, right? But yeah, it took like burning up all my cash in my bank account and not necessarily knowing whether I was going to be able to afford to pay my employees the next week, only to find out that, you know, I have a new investor that just comes in and comes in like right at the right time, exactly when I needed them. And it was awesome. So. I think removing the worry side, because again, going back to when I was a kid, back then I had to develop, like, literally I say like myself, like calluses on your brain, like you cannot get worried, especially the small things, right? There's so much bigger opportunities out there. So I had to remove the worry from my brain at a young age. And I think that's really helped guide me as an adult. Well, how about personally? Did you ever connect with your other brothers and sisters? You know, it's kind of a sad and, you know, story, you know, there's seven of us that are full brothers and sisters and, but total of about 14 of us in total. And it's been difficult because I don't know them. I never had a chance to even really live with them. And, you know, I've been with my wife for 27 years and I have three kids and myself and I'm like, man, and I've been an entrepreneur now for a while and I'm like, just been grinding, still trying to make it. So it's terrible in the sense that. I was not able and still not able to really reach out to them like I probably should have. They follow me though. So they reach out to me and I just have a hard time reaching back. Okay. Thank you for sharing that and your personal struggles growing up, you know, all the persistence you had to show there. And then I think most people would have, like I said, quit after your Boca Raton. I mean, just kind of stay with that company, be happy. Maybe you had a good lifestyle business, but you're still going at it and, you know, throwing your money all in, in, in this next venture, which sounds like it's going to work too. But you have to take that risk and it doesn't sound like you were scared to do that. So obviously wish you luck doing it. I mean, do you have any other words of wisdom for anyone who's listening now who 
is you know a young entrepreneur or maybe they're midway through and not sure if they're going to make it any uh, tips for them one of the big tips that i have is no different than being on a sports team and i treat every day kind of like i am on a sports team in the sense that all the winning happens before you show up on the field that day in other words like you just don't like go to the super bowl without a ton of practice right and part of that practice you're taught like how to visualize yourself winning and you hear about creating these vision boards. And I can tell you this, at a young age, I've created those vision boards and every single vision board has come true. And it's whatever you focus on, you bring about in life. And I would say that to any entrepreneur out there, whether it's writing down your goals, but to me, being able to create a vision board and watch it come to reality has been really an eye opener. And I believe that anyone looking to become an entrepreneur Maybe they struggle with the visualization. And I think that by basically taking, whether it's pieces of a magazine or finding things on the internet, try to make up for it, you know, looking at it and whether it's every day or every week, that in itself, I believe is what's really going to help drive you. It's going to remind you every day what you're working towards and it starts showing up. You don't know when it's going to show up and not focusing on the when, right? I think that's another big one or the if or the worry or thinking about the worry, because if you think about or worry about it, then it's never going to happen. It's when you stop worrying and you're able to kind of release yourself from that, then everything just starts falling into your life. It's pretty amazing. Appreciate you uh, becoming a Patreon member. Yeah, no problem, man. So what inspired you to become one? There was some content specifically, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy over at uh, Meineke, I was just like, I had to listen to the end of it. So it was, it was a good hook. It is so funny that you said that because when I literally just got done editing, the guy said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. I kept thinking that story was so good. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if you thought the same thing, obviously. The guy, is you can just tell, he's a grinder, you know, and you want to root for a guy like that. I really wanted to like have a small membership where I can have a community because long term, that's going to help everybody else out more. In all honesty, I feel like you could even charge more. To be honest, I would have spent a lot more. Don't charge me more now. But, <laughs> I'm but, feeling you. I would have spent a lot more. Some of these meetup groups that I go to, they charge like $50 a swing and, and there's not even a lunch or anything provided. Just a one-time meetup where this is, you know, a monthly thing with a lot of benefits and a lot of great connections. I mean, for someone like myself, I feel like if I met one person over the next year, you know, it brought me a tremendous amount of value. And I think you're selling it too cheap almost. I mean, in all honesty, Mary said that she had the whole you know thing that sparked this conversation is I guess she had a marketing company on and now they're helping her. They got her in Asbury Park Press, which is a local paper here, but she did like over $15,000 in business just off of them getting her in that article. And they've also gotten her in a ton of other things. I mean, she said, you know, listen, it was one phone call for $15 a month. It already brought me over $15,000 worth of gross return. I mean, that's just tremendous value in my opinion. If I can even get a fraction of value like that out of any of these calls, I mean, it would be worth $100 a month to me at this point, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people can kind of envision. Maybe they don't actually go cut out stuff and put together a vision board or whatnot. So I definitely agree with you on that. Because I mean, even every day, I haven't made it at all. Anywhere close to where I've wanted or even thought I'd be at this point in my life. But every day I get up and I'm like, I'm going to make it. You know, I think you have to have that positive aspect. but. There's also the aspect of what's your grind like? I mean, how often are you working and whatnot? Because I think that gets swept in the rug sometimes when people tell their story or obviously that's not like the sexy part, but you said you're not going to get the Super Bowl just by practicing every once in a while. You have to show up every day and work your ass off. So what's your work schedule like? 
And my work schedule, and I was thinking like, as long as I'm having fun, I'm gonna keep on going. So literally like every morning, I do a workout at six o'clock in the morning. For me, and I think for anyone out there looking to become an entrepreneur, I always felt like the hardest thing that I'm gonna do all day is this workout. Like this workout is gonna be so intense, it's gonna kick my ass, especially at six o'clock in the morning where most people are still sleeping. And if I can survive this every day, then everything else is gonna come easy. And I literally work out like seven days a week. So I'm just addicted to the feeling I get of the, it's like a feel good mindset. So literally that workout in the morning really helps catapult me throughout my day, which usually ends around somewhere between eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. Like I usually grind throughout the entire day, mostly made up today of meetings where it's just conference call or Zooms and jumping on a plane and basically being face to face, but literally grinding 24 seven, it feels like. On the weekends, I'm always home for my family. So I typically, I try not to work the entire weekend. I usually wind up working, you know, one day on the weekend. And then the other day, I'm really like all in up with my kids and we're really passionate about riding dirt bikes. So we got into it. And that's usually where you'll find me when I'm not in front of my computer is on a bike. But yeah, it's something that I take very seriously. It's just that work ethic of that grind. But it's fun though. It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing something that you enjoy, and I'm sure you've had lulls too, even before this, before you started everywhere. I don't know if this is starting to happen to you at like Grand Tango. Like sometimes you're so energetic when you're starting something new, but then once you are not enjoying it as much, it's way harder for me to work harder, you know, or longer because it's, then it's just kind of painful. But if you're loving it, it sounds like you are right now, it's much easier to work way longer and get more successful or get more success out of it because it doesn't feel like work. Exactly. Especially when things just start clicking and You'll find books out there on flow. I encourage entrepreneurs out there to read about flow and what that feels like to be in the flow and back to the sports team. You know what I mean? You'll see it when the team's winning, everyone's flowing, right? There's great momentum. And if you can apply that to your daily life, everything just flows right into place. Nice. Well, thank you for the words of wisdom, Larry. And I guess if anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So my email address is easy. It's just Larry at everywhere.com. And again, everywhere is spelled kind of like software, W-A-R-E. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on. You got it. Thank you for having me. You looking for more tech-based interviews? If so, here's five more recommendations for you to check out. Try episode 198 with Jim Warner or episode 79 with Brad Martineau. Another one. Episode 195 with Howard Gottlieb. Number four is episode 71 with Jordan Gal of Carthook. And last but not least, episode 180 with Diana Goodwin of Aquamobile. Oh, and if you feel like helping us keep this podcast going, then consider becoming a Patreon member. Hope you enjoy those tech-based interviews. And to become a Patreon member, just check your episode notes below.